Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. You have Tracy Newman and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend, Dan Bentley. I'm really excited about today's podcast because this is something that I'm personally really interested in. I find it quite fascinating the way that our brains work. So yeah, today we're going to talk all about bias and we're going to talk about some of the five biases that we see come up quite regularly when doing the work that we're doing and just sort of give you a little bit more awareness about what they are and the kinds of things that you can do when you're experiencing those biases as well. So I think just uh, before we do sort of get into what these biases are, just talk a little bit about why it's important and how they sort of come up. So whether you believe it or not, we all have biases and they are based off our experiences in life. And I think the most important thing is is to be aware of biases. That's probably the, the thing that you can do the most to be able to have them lose their power over you, I guess, and to be aware of them. Mm. So it's a good idea as, you know, whether you're a designer or you're someone that's just sort of working in this space in whatever way is that when we understand them, we can begin to do things to to make sure that they don't play a role in our decision-making. Absolutely. And really a bias is just a way of our brain recognising patterns and creating shortcuts. So when we are aware of them, we can then, I guess, stop that sort of automatic shortcut process and sometimes think about doing things a little bit differently. But the first step is absolutely, it's, it's just that awareness because it happens so quickly that quite often, you know, we're not even really aware that that is the way that we go to in terms of a default. And so having that awareness and understanding a little bit more about what they are and the impacts that they can have helps us to then put in place strategies to sort of work around it. But absolutely, awareness is definitely the first step. So I, I guess the good news is when we start uh, sharing more about this, you you begin to recognise them and you begin to sort of see those patterns that happen in, in the way that you think and then you can consider how you might be able to do things differently. So the first one I think is one that we've heard a lot about recently and that is the confirmation bias. And essentially what that means is that when you have a fixed view, you'll see information and data that confirms that view. And I think that that's something that's been happening a lot recently where people have fixed views and then are able to then find lots of, you know, articles and data and Google searches and people's comments that all kind of play into that idea that you have and confirm what you already think to be true. Yeah, and a good example of that is that if you have a belief that the world is a scary place and that everybody is sort of out to get you, you could have 99 interactions with people in a day that are pleasant and kind and friendly interactions, but you could have one that does, I guess, confirm your view and you go, see, I told you, this is what everybody's out to get me, you know? And it's like you had one versus 99, but you focused in on that one because that's confirmed what you believe. 
That's just a really simple way of, of putting it of how it can work in the day-to-day world. But it can also happen as well when we're looking at like, you know, innovation and the ways that we're working. It could be that you're thinking that a certain idea is the only way that will work. And so you only look for times when an evidence that supports your existing view. Absolutely. And even when you, you know, go so far as to do a Google search, you know, if you do a search that says, you know, is X true, you'll find lots of data that gives you that. But if you, you know, change the way that you word that, you'll again find lots of data to, you know, share different views. So being aware that confirmation bias exists then enables you to start thinking about, well, what if the opposite were true? And I think one of the counters to confirmation bias is just curiosity. You know, what would it look like if that was were different? What else could be a great solution? You know, if you think of Dan's example around if you think that this is the only way that it could work, what would happen if you then instead said, well, what are some other ways that this might work? What could we do that's not this? <laughs> You know, and it just sort of helps you to think about exploring different concepts in different ways. So the next one, the next one's all about expedience bias, where, you know, we have that kind of natural bias towards taking action. And sometimes we're not allowing ourselves time to review alternatives or to consider whether, you know, sometimes different approaches might be more successful. We just sort of hit upon our first idea and then progress as though, you know, the the small amount of information we have is enough and and we're quick to rush to a decision and quick to to rush to action. Yeah, we see this one a lot in organisations that put a lot of pressure on people to get results. Also as well, I think a lot of people do this to themselves who put a lot of pressure on themselves to get results. <laughs> and so we see this with leaders where they're thinking, well, you know, when I'm taking action, I've been sort of told in the past that I am doing a good job. Whereas that ability to sit there and, and consider and that ability to sit there and think through strategy can sometimes be seen as I'm not doing anything. So that's where that can take place where it's like, I just need to be looking like I'm moving forward at all times. And maybe like you said, Tracy, not taking that time to to really sit there and, and think about um, what information do I need before I act on a decision? Yeah. And we see this a lot because, you know, we spend a lot of time talking with people about, you know, making sure that you're solving the right problem and really, you know, spending some time making sure that you understand what it is that you're dealing with from a range of different perspectives before you sort of jump straight into solution mode. But uh, you know, there's 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 a bit of balance here as well with this one, right, Dan? Like, you know, you don't necessarily want to spend all your time thinking and and no time acting as well. So, you know, this is one of those ones where, in some aspects and in the right circumstance, can be really beneficial because you know a decision is sometimes better than no decision, but also, you know, just spending a little bit of time reflecting before we rush into action can be really beneficial. Yeah. Is there another one on the other side of this, like procrastination bias? (laughs) I feel like that's the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. I I heard a good way of actually uh, considering this and that, and that is if what you're doing actually helps you to find a solution or, or helps, you know, in terms of activity, it's beneficial. But if it really is just you know, more information gathering without an actual purpose, then you're probably leaning towards the the procrastination versus, you know, action. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think 
I think procrastination bias is is probably the opposite of that one. Nice. And the next one is somewhat similar as well, which is your experience bias. So we have this tendency to think that our own experience is the way things work. So, you know, if we have an experience of something, we then, you know, will often consider that everybody would act in the same way in that same circumstance. Whereas, you know, quite often people are very diverse, situations are very diverse, people bring a whole range of different perspectives and different thoughts. And sometimes that whole idea of, oh, well, I wouldn't do that. So therefore no one's going to do that isn't always helpful and it isn't always accurate. Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they were telling me that, you know, people are like X, Y, Z, right? I won't, I won't go into what they were saying, but they were talking a little bit about that, you know, people are, this is what people do. Humans do this. And I was sort of challenging them that to say, well, is that absolute or is that your experience around that and it was an interesting discussion because we worked out well yeah that was just that person's experience but they so believed that that's what everyone was like because everybody that they know and that they've come across and have have relations with behaves in that way but sometimes when we step out of that social circle uh, there's a lot of other different experiences that maybe you just haven't been exposed to. So it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's one of those things that if you're not open to that idea and you don't and you can't think of that concept, you could understand how people could very easily believe that that is the truth. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we all have our own experiences and we always bring those experiences to any sort of future interaction. And sometimes that sort of experience bias is really important, you know, I know if I touch that thing, it's hot and it hurts is really important information to continue to hold where it becomes less important is when you, you know, sort of form views about everybody based on your own experience. And I think that's where challenging yourself in those conversations and challenging other people is helpful. The next one is similarity bias, and it's where we look for people and things that are similar to what we like and people who are similar to us and things that are similar to or familiar. We like to sort of surround ourselves with things that are are, are quite aligned to what we're already used to. Yeah, this this happens a lot, and this is one of the things that is one of the reasons we have a huge problem with gender and and other types of diversity in in hiring people. I remember I did a project a, a while ago in an organization around this and it was that how often you'd have two same resumes but you'd put, let's say the person was a, a white male, if you put another white male sounding name on a resume with the same qualifications, the same experience and then put somebody with a foreign sounding name and even changing the gender, they would quite often go, I really like the sound of this one <laughs> because it was, it, was, uh, it was similar. And this happens all the time. And a lot of the work that we did in that, with that organization was helping people understand that potential, that, that unconscious bias around that. And this happens as well in ideas that we select, people that we invite to be a part of our um, organization, our projects, happens in all sorts of ways. But what's familiar can sometimes feel safe for people. And it's about, you know, once we become aware of that bias, starting to, you know, un- unpick that and and make decisions that don't keep on heading down that particular path. Yeah, I think even if we consider the people that we have around us and our friendship groups, you know, there's, there's quite often some sort of similarities. And one of the, the really great ways to bridge some of that is, yes, absolutely being deliberate about 
you know, looking for diversity, but then when you're actually coming together is sort of finding those that common ground. You know, what are the things that are similar about you? And, and sometimes what's similar is what you're out to achieve, you know, and that's where, uh, um, you know, your strong mission statement can be really powerful because that's what you all have in common. And then the diversity is what sort of brings that richness of all the different ideas and ways that you can achieve that mission. If you're loving what you're hearing on our podcast, you should join us for one of our live events where we cover how you can build a more innovative and impactful organization. We also have our very popular Co-Design for Impact Masterclass where I'll teach you how to run your own co-design projects and how to set them up for success. Spots are limited, so grab your ticket to this and our other events at impactoconsulting.com.au slash events. Whenever I've done any work around this, it's that when people don't understand the benefit of diversity, I think that also means that they continue down that path of that similarity. You know, we've, we've got lots of episodes that talk about this and there's lots of research out there, but diverse teams are better. That's just, you know, what so much of the research. I've saved you a lot of time there. Just take my one, one piece of information there, but diverse teams in so many different ways are better. You've just got so many different ways of looking at the problem and solving the problem and having uh, lots of other different people at the table. You know, all of our work is sort of based off that diverse input and collaboration across diverse people. So probably don't have to spend too much time convincing anyone that listens to this podcast that that's a good idea. But if you are working with people that you feel have a similarity bias, that's a good, sometimes a good place to start is to, to help them understand just that power in that in that diversity and what that will do for them as well. Yeah, and I think sometimes there is that tendency to look for diversity when you're putting the team together but then wanting people to sort of conform and to sort of get along and and that's kind of a, a, a bit of a natural sort of desire that we have where, you know, we sort of start to look for alignment and I think there's a, you know, it's important to be aligned on things like your mission and and your goals and what you're trying to achieve but it's also really important to continue to nurture the diversity of thought within the room so that you don't get a group of diverse people and then kind of try and make them all act in the same way because then you miss out on the benefit of that diversity as well. Absolutely. And last but not least, I wanted to talk a little bit about safety bias because I think that's that's certainly something that kind of underpins a lot of a lot of these other biases as well is really, you know, that desire that we have to be safe and to make decisions that are going to avoid loss and and that keep us safe. And I think that's definitely a bias that we need to be really mindful of when it comes to being innovative and when it comes to being creative because there's some risk and involved in doing things differently and some risk involved in, you know, sharing creative ideas and things like that. So I think that's a a really important one to be mindful of as well. Yeah. We've covered this before on other episodes and it's something that does come up a bit in the sector that, you know, sometimes leaders can be thinking, well, you know, change is risk. The thing that we talk about a lot is not changing is also risk. So that's something that we need to consider. There's always risk, no matter what we do. There's always, there's pros and cons, no matter what we do, right? And I think that's what's important to understand is that doing nothing doesn't mean that you're not taking any risk. It means that you're just taking a different set of risks. And so it's really important for us to, when we are aware, if we do have a safety bias and a bias towards 
keeping things the same and keeping things safe, that that we understand the impacts of of those decisions. I think that's something that we've found is really useful with people that do feel that way because sometimes it can actually make them realize, okay, well, I actually am still making a, a choice here and do I want to actually live with those potential risks and consequences or is the action actually not the scary bit and the risk is actually less if we do something. Yeah, I, I agree. And and sometimes people can kind of inadvertently promote that as well. And one of the things that we talk about is that if you want people to be innovative, you've got to make it okay for that risk taking to occur within a, you know, within the safe constraints. And you need to sort of talk about learning and failure as well so that people begin to sort of move away from seeing failure as being really terrible and really scary and actually get to see the benefit of, you know, the learning that you get to have when you're, you know, when you're trying new things and through promoting the benefits, even if you are taking some of those risks and it it does feel a little bit unsafe, then that's a a great way of moving people towards that creativity. Yeah. And another one that I'll add on top of that too, is that Sometimes just as a group, looking at all the different risks for all the different options. And then if you are seeing that, and not just the risk, but also like, what are you going to get out of it? What are the, what are the gains, I guess, too? But then if there's one that's got one option that does have some risks, they all will have risks. Everything has a risk, right? Just depends how big that is and what that impact could potentially be, how important, you know, how, yeah, that sort of thing. But once you've got that list, if there is one that's got some really great gains to be had, Having a conversation around, well, what what's the risk mitigation strategy for these can also help some of those people that have that safety bias feel comfortable because they then ha- there's a plan in place to reduce that risk. Sometimes creative types, we can be sort of like, ah, it'll be fine. You know, we've, we're kind of like maybe is that optimism bias? Yeah, that's another bias, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I can definitely fall into that sometimes. Just go, you know, oh, look, what's the chances of that happening? But there's people that really do feel this strongly, uh, this safety bias. And so it is important to make sure that their needs are also being met. And we're not just going, look, don't worry about it. Stop, Just stop worrying. And risk mitigation strategies can help them and ha- help all of us actually think through what can we do to proactively mitigate that risk. Oh, absolutely. Because sometimes when you're thinking about something, it can feel really huge. But when you actually say, you know, get down to, well, what's the likelihood of that happening? And what would be the impact if it did? And what can we do to avoid those things? It all of a sudden becomes quite manageable. And when you actually even examine the likelihood of it happening. Sometimes we worry a lot or we're concerned a lot about something that's really very unlikely to happen. And then when we actually go through that process of well, what would happen if it did happen, we realize that it's probably not that bad. And sometimes we might realize, well, actually it is that bad. So we put in place, you know, mitigation strategies to stop it from even happening, which is also really beneficial. Yeah, there you have it. That's five with a a sneaky visit from optimism bias as well that are ways that you want to consider if you want to really promote that innovation culture and that diversity. So we talked about confirmation bias, uh, expedience bias, experience bias, similarity bias and safety bias. So there's a, a whole wealth of information that's available on all of those, but I hope that this has given you a really good place to start in terms of being aware and being able to spot these biases 
when they occur and get in the way of you making really creative and innovative decisions. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.